we have to be clear what it is that we're talking about. And in order to answer that question, he does a sort of thought experiment. He says, what can you take away from the average theater performance? What's the essence? What can you take away and still have it? What can you remove and, and, and not damage the heart of the matter? And he says, you could take away the script, you could take away the curtains, you could take away the lighting, you could take away the stage. All these things are inessential to theater. And he keeps going down the list, the costumes. In fact, he said, you can get rid of the building. You don't need any of it. The only thing you cannot remove and still have theater is an actor in a space and somebody watching. The actor performs a drama, theater describes the relationship between the performance and the audience. And he said it's that relationship that we have to focus on if we want transformative experiences in the theater. And we should add nothing to it that gets away, that gets away from it or distracts from it. That was Sir Ken Robinson at the 2018 California Teacher Summit. For those that do not know him, Sir Ken Robinson was a titan in the field of educational transformation, championing the ideals of creativity, arts education, and the seemingly boundless capacity of children. Now you may be wondering why Sir Ken Robinson is lecturing about theater at a teacher summit. Well, let's see how he concludes. So he tried to build it up elementally. But you see, I think the analogy with education is absolutely exact. That at the heart of education is a relationship between a teacher and a learner, or between learners and each other. My name is David Chen. I'm a first year in college taking a course in equity and excellence in K-12 education. What you just heard from Sir Ken Robinson is what I want to explore in this podcast. If you boil down the concept of school, perhaps even the concept of learning, you may arrive at the relationship that was just described. A teacher and a learner. Or more broadly, a learner and a learner. If you find it hard to believe, jog your memories really quick. Think back to your experience in K-12 education. Do you remember the textbook you read in sixth grade math and science? Or the pencils you used in fifth grade? Or even where you sat in sophomore English? You know, perhaps you may have remembered. But I'd wager that you remember clearer the teachers that you had in these classes. The way they spoke, the way they made you feel about the subject, the way they made you feel about yourself. I'm sure you can remember the friends and faces as well that defined your years in grade school. Their names, their laughs. Who we are today, I believe, are severely, if not unanimously, influenced by the people we interact with at school. So in an attempt to explore the concept of schools and identity, I want to take a few trips down memory lane and speak to two people I consider most influential in my high school years. Emily Teachin and Cal Slatton. Ms. Teachin was my high school AP statistics teacher whom I credit much of how I see education and learning now. Cal is my high school friend and co-hosted a podcast with me. These two people represent what Sir Ken Robinson described as the teacher to learner and learner to learner relationship to me. How I grew and developed my own identity revolved much around these two people. 
I hope by exploring these relationships, I can call to attention just how important they are in a learning environment, how fundamental they can be in steering someone's life path, and of course, how influential they are for personal identity. I think we too often consider self-identity to, well, be of the self. But in my experience, it seems to be quite the opposite. The people around you, everyone but the self, play a crucial role in your image. The first person that has done so for me was, well, I'll, I'll let her introduce herself. I'm Emily Teachin, and I am currently a math coordinator for Merced County Office of Education. And uh, I used to be a high school teacher. Like I said, Ms. Teachin was my high school AP statistics teacher. And additionally, my junior year, I served as her teaching assistant. She was, and still is, an extraordinary mentor and a brilliant teacher. I was able to speak to her a bit about what she remembered being my teacher. And as we spoke, I started to piece together my own philosophies in teaching, education, and overarching perspectives of equity, and realizing just how much of her influence, and realizing just how much she has influenced those philosophies. You know, I guess this kind of falls into this overarching question of your, and I've, and I can't believe I've never asked you this question before. Like now, that I think about it, like it's kind of frustrating. No, no, no. Like it's 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 pretty straightforward. But like, what are your philosophies? Because every teacher is different. But like, what are your philosophies when it came to teaching, and and how that manifested in in your classroom? Well, I think I've evolved over the years, so I'm not. Of course, I'm not sure that I can necessarily even define that appropriately now. But um, I think that I'm going to talk specifically to stats because yes. that's the class you, you took from me. Um, and I think that I behaved in that, that class a little bit more like how a teacher should um, because of the role modeling that I, I saw with um, my statistics professors that I did not see from my from like my high school math teachers. So anyway, um, when it when it came to that class, I think I, you know, it's an AP class, so um, you should be focused on taking the AP test and getting a good score. And as a teacher, having your students score highly, like that should be the main motivator. And I think it is for a lot of teachers. But I always wanted out of my students um, to have a better understanding of the world around them more so than to do well on the test. And so when it came to the things that we did or talked about, I wanted it to be more about how you understand to and use statistics in your life in the future in a way that's appropriate or, you know, not not to trust them in right. some respects too. This all adds up. The most memorable moments in her classroom were always the projects and scenarios we participated in. We counted Reese's pieces to determine whether they were equal proportions of colors. We reviewed statistical experiments that tried to prove whether or not inherent good existed in babies. While it can be argued that we technically wouldn't use these situations in the classroom or in life, it made me feel invested in the subject. It felt like it was a tangible topic, something I could grasp or, in the case of Reese's Pieces, taste. I never forgot that feeling of relatable education, and it stayed with me to today, where I strongly prefer in learning environments that are relatable and grounded in the tangible, not the abstract. But beyond her teaching style, another subtle aspect of Ms. Teachin's classroom really drew me in. 
And that was how she was able to manage classroom culture. I asked her next if she remembered a classmate of mine in her class, Tommy. He's a great friend of mine, but in freshman year, I do remember him being rather uh, energetic during class. If if I may, and I understand, this, you know, it's a long, long time ago, but I just, I really, and I wrote this down because I really want to talk about this moment and how this represents what I thought about your class and how that reflected my whole viewpoint on school. But do you remember Tommy Bilski? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I, yeah. I started the um, <laughs> the conversation about there were a few students that stood out, and <laughs> you were yeah, one. You, you... Tommy would be the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, yeah. I, I was I think you knew where I was going with that. Um so there was in during the class and it's I think it's how it has to do with class culture. I want to talk about this idea about class culture cuz you know, despite Tommy's many um interesting behaviors during class, I think he really contributed to an interesting class culture. And I feel like you did a really amazing job not to like stifle it and yet at the same time not let it get out of control. Because okay. Like That's I remember, nice. <laughs> no, no, because like I don't know if you remember, but like he at one point was very angry about like not not angry, but he was jokingly angry about not having a mechanical pencil sharpener. Oh right, <laughs> in class, and he'd always have to walk up to walk up to the class and like you know crank, and you know obviously he was sometimes doing it as a distraction. But at one point, you actually did buy a, an electric. I still have sharpener. it in my office still- <laughs> on my desk. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, so and and I remember like everyone was like cheering and like oh my gosh, Tommy's finally got. It. I think you actually made a thing where as well, where he had like stars, like if he oh, acted yeah. well, right? Like employing very. I'm not sure I stand people... behind that one now, but yeah, but yeah, yeah, that, that but no, like still, it it gave a whole new dimension to a classroom that is not just academic, but also yeah. familial and yeah. and and cultural. So. I, I'm just curious, like, is that something explicit in your in your philosophy of teaching, or is that just like kind of? That, this of is so um, of the times. So I think like a lot of the training that I do with teachers now is to focus on social emotional learning with students, and and that like. Can, can you hear my son in the background? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, that. Uh, we like you know think that kids come to school for us to tell them you know, some things for them to learn and they go home and that that's the end of it. But it's so important for them to have the time to talk to each other and build relationships. And, and, you know, I, I know teachers understand that building relationships are important, but the stress that COVID has put on everybody is so extreme that we have to be so much more intentional about it and, and value that in a way that it's not just a matter of like uh, greeting kids at the door or greeting them as they come onto Zoom, but like, how do you specifically uh, reach out and get to know them in a way that that you communicate that you you like them. And so it's funny that you're bringing this up because I was just talking with my colleague about some experiences that were formative for me when I was young. Um, and I was like in a youth group and the the person there was like a, a kid that was in our group that was the weirdest, the most annoying. <laughs> was like a jerk all the time. Anyway, and she she, you know, I'm like, oh, you like him. And she's like, you know, there are good things about him. And I, I remember as a teenager, then it was like, oh, okay, we can make choices to look for the good in people. And I think that you go a lot further in life to um, make the choice to try and like somebody and and understand things from their perspective. And 
Um, so, so yeah, I like, I, I do think that that was part of what I was <laughs> trying to get at when, when I was working with Tommy is that, um, like he's a part of this class. So he's a part of the family, as you were saying, you know, and so how do we try and structure it in a way that he gets what he needs in a way that that's not going to, you know, certainly cause more problems for either of us, but, right. but also so that like <laughs> we can function as a family and, you know, get through this together in a healthy way. Yeah. And still learn. Cause you know, you're ultimately there to learn. Exactly. Yeah. I think teachers are always faced with a constant decision of whether or not to exclude a student for their behavior or try to fold them in, in some sort of constructive way. And I think obviously the, the, the latter is more productive for, for both parties, but unfortunately the former seems like occasionally the more as a, you know, seemingly mm -hmm. the more effective, right? It's, it's faster. It's, it's yeah. more, more distinct. Well, it's, it's more effective for a certain population, but you're kind of also um, destroying an opportunity for a kid when you decide that, you know, if they don't bring a pencil to class that they have to go off to the office yeah. every single day, you know, like <laughs> you're, you are as an adult taking a kid that you like, I could easily just give the kid a pencil. Right. Right. And so, so when teachers are making, and that's like a silly example, but it's one I've come across. Um, they every day are making the choice of whether they're, they're going to give access to an education to a kid. Mm -hmm. when, they're, when they're facing that and so for me like morally and ethically it's like you do what you need to do so the kid can learn and when it comes to their behavior that's just they're you know they're seeking attention and they need it and you know there, there are some people I'm not gonna say names now that need attention mm -hmm. and um and yeah so how do you make that uh, productive for them like how because I think if they're seeking that kind of attention they need it you know and I'm an adult and they're a kid and so you have to right. try and try and do that for them you know, talking to you now, I think I've, this is, wow, this is amazing. So talking to you now, I think, I think I'm starting to realize like where my own philosophies of equity and education is coming from. Cause like, yeah, what you're saying here about how every student is, first of all, is, is deserving of a, of a chance at education, education and learning, because you know, this is, this is how we, this is how education should work. Um, but also, right. Like the, the moral and ethical kind of um gray areas of education where you know the the sacrifice of 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 one person's education to quote unquote uphold the environment for the others never made sense to me um and so so yeah this is great for this is great for my project as as one part to like really hone in on like where where my thinking comes from right and it was kind of cool how that you said that your thinking also came from um experiences when you were younger There it is. My concept of equity is directly passed down from my teacher. And I associate myself with this kind of thinking by considering every student to be passionate, to be worthy of attention and deserving of an opportunity. It has led me to consider studying sociology, psychology, or really anything that could help me pinpoint why we consider some people more deserving of success than others. Why can't every student be considered excellent? Why can't passion be a right rather than a privilege? In terms of identity and philosophy, I cannot attribute more impact than to Ms. Teachin. But in a completely separate sense, I have also grown a lot interacting with friends. One of which is Cal Slatton, who, 
despite our brief time together in high school for around three years, became really close friends with me. My relationship with him could only be described as fortuitous, because it was well, quite remarkable how we were able to become friends despite our separate paths. In the following portion, you will hear an uninterrupted conversation I have with Cal on our other podcast, How's It Going?, where I ask him to reminisce a little on the time we spent together. Check it out. Um, I wanted to start off by asking, you know, what was the what was the earliest memory that we we share together in high school? Because I I know we had you know Crookshank years, but frankly, we didn't really know each other in middle school, right? Yeah, I mean, we had some we had some run-ins. I remember uh, vividly meeting you in the library one day. And I was studying some like marine biology and you were working on like algebra two high school level. Uh, you were like working on this little uh, worksheet textbook. That's one of my earliest memories of us having like a real social interaction. But if we're talking high school, ooh, I'm not entirely sure. The first time me and you really spoke is what you're asking of? I guess, which is like the most first meaningful contact. Cause like, I think we can both agree freshman and sophomore year, we did not really no. know each other, right? We didn't even have any classes together, right? Well, we didn't have any similar interest. Like, I, I just don't think we had anything in, in common and at, at that time. Um, but I remember us really like coming into our own, I'd say, uh, was AP physics. Yeah, I was gonna say that, and I was gonna say that. And I think the reason why we actually like made connections in that class was because that class really wasn't a class, no offense to Miss Downey, but because there was like, you know, a lack of structure in that class, it was really up to the students to like form bonds and work on our own things independently, which means everyone was being social in that class is what I remember. Right. Um, and that's, that's, that's the thing, you know, that's. And and I don't even know like oh it's being that class not being a class isn't really like an insult you know like it's yeah yeah it was actually great and on frankly I I me personally I was able to learn a lot just not in the traditional sense you know of reading a textbook but just doing stuff talking with the teacher vibing you know I know I I think like most importantly it was just everyone like kind of bouncing off of each other I mean there's obviously unfortunately some people took advantage of the freedom that was given in that class. You know, just like sitting in the back, listening to music. But I think there was a lot of like small discussion going on that was really productive. And like I just remember me and you, um, we, we used to talk a lot in that class. I, I do remember one of like the most fantastic days of that entire year was when there was a fly infestation uh, towards the end of the school year. And me and you, <laughs> we like were trying to smack flies and getting them to... Uh, go unconscious and then we were going to freeze them uh tie a string around it and try to walk it like a dog <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure we violated multiple geneva conventions right there <laughs> and i i just remember you being like screw physics this is zoology 101 we're up in downy's glass freezing flies yeah no no we definitely we definitely shared memorable moments one of my you know like these aren't like memorable memorable moments but like the things i can picture in my mind you know ap physics was you know a coming together point for both you and i because you came from a push right yes yes i came from this other class that i forgot but you would always come you would occasionally come in with like because like you'd be right after a debate from a push and you'd still be yeah. brimming with the topic or prompt oh i'd be heated yeah 
steam coming off of me. And I, I would always turn to you because I know you would actually give me your feedback. Um, Mm -hmm. and I would say like, David was the, uh, what is it called? Um, dang, it's hard to, it's hard to remember these topics. Um, I remember you, was, no the was it a revolution? I remember that one. Was yeah, it? Yeah, but what what was the exact wording? I forgot. It was like was the was, was the, the revolution the, of eighteen was it eighteen twelve? No, that was the war of eighteen twelve. Yeah, yeah. What was the what year oh, was that revolution oh. when Thomas Jefferson took office and he was the first democratic right. uh, Republican rather than a federalist? Something like that, right? I think it's the revolution of eighteen hundred. It's just like solid number 18 i don't know i think no. so anyways just to explain it briefly yes uh thomas jefferson was like the first like agricultural agrarian candidate who put a focus in smaller government and you know because george washington was a federalist it was the first time we saw the federal government shift in a different ideology and then the topic was is this a rev because in the textbooks they kind of named it the revolution mm-hmm of 1800 we'll say that and my teacher pedrozo asked well was it a revolution in name only or was it an actual revolution mm. and i was like david what's your thoughts and i remember you saying literally you put it beautifully like honestly i carried your idea to the debate i just kind of put my own spin on it and you said there is no way this is a revolution because a revolution implies that it is an overthrow of the current system but all this was was evolution of the current system because the rules were still followed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had the electoral votes needed to be voted in and nothing was overthrown, but the ideas just evolved. And right. I mean, that's kind of the end all be all of that debate. And I brought that idea in and we kind of lit it up. It was, it was a fun debate. Yeah. Yeah. The reason why I brought this up is because I think those moments, those first moments where I, where you came up to me voluntarily and just kind of just like, you know, because frankly, not many other people at school, whether this was, you know, how they perceived me or how I was perceived overall, but um, people normally doesn't, don't, don't come up to me and, and ask these, these types of questions. Maybe it's because, well, I don't think people in general ask these types of questions to like other <laughs> yeah. people, but that yeah. was, that was, I think, I, I think that was our gateway drug to our friendship because Agreed. I from then on I associated with you this willingness to just talk and this willingness to open up a debate and open up a discussion. Cause like you weren't the type to like say your opinion and just dig into it and not budge, right? There were plenty plenty of times where you've changed oh, yeah. your side, I've changed my side. And that kind of flexibility was so refreshing, right? So that was the first impression. That 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 that, that was the Cal Slatin that I knew for the longest time. Um, you know, you were this person who I can easily account and say, if I were to come up and ask him this this question of whether it's politics or world opinion or or anything, really, almost guaranteed, I'll get a cool cool conversation from him. And that was my first impression. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, I just remember our conversations. Like I, I just would always every time we got deep in conversation in AP Physics, I was like, dude. I need to talk to David more because like, I feel like everyone is just so at school. I, I don't think, I, I don't think people are pseudo intellectual, but they would give these like really shallow responses when I asked a deep and like philosophical question. But I feel like you took those questions seriously because like, I really needed someone who would take those questions seriously. And I was, just, I think, yeah, I, I think our, 
the foundation of our friendship was definitely built on that. And right. it really, yeah, the conversation. And I think that was a theme of our friendship uh, because it ended up kind of becoming our hobby together is conversation itself. Exactly. Exactly. Our conversation manifested into a podcast and that that's where the sparks really started to fly. Right. And I know we've still told the story so many times to so many people, but it it's so beautiful to say, you know, I invited you to record this podcast about a push. Cause I knew that you really yeah. liked it. Cause you know, everything segues. I knew that you liked a push and I knew you could carry a good conversation because of our interactions in, in physics went to the podcast, nailed it. So like that was like planted into both of our minds. Like this is something that was cool. It worked out. And then senior year, first few weeks come up to you during break. And I ask you the important question. Hey man, you want to be part of this podcast? And I, you know, I went home and I, I slept on it. I was like, it was kind of just nerve wracking thinking about it though. I was like, really? wow, like it's going to be like a show where like I just talk and people listen and, and it's like up to me to make it entertaining. Mm. I And I think it was just because while, you know, being in the education system my whole life, I feel like no one ever really thought of me as like an academic or someone who has the capabilities to hold a interesting conversation. So when you asked me this, like, you know, I really wanted to do it, but I don't think anyone helped me build the confidence that I needed to like uh, believe in myself and really have like, like believe in myself to think that I have the utilities to run a podcast. Um, so I was just really nervous and I, I yeah, I, I didn't really believe in myself whatsoever. And I remember recording our first episode. I listened back to it like a month ago. Uh-huh. I was a train wreck. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> like but, but, I couldn't form sentences. Yeah, well, I it mean, bad. Um, it was really, really bad. Starts. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but it was so cool though that both of us evolved. And see, I think, I think you know, when it comes to like identity, right? One of the things that really helped doing the podcast was how simple it was measuring progress. Like you could, I'm sure you felt it, right? Like how, how, how much? How do you say this? the improvement that you felt in your own confidence and your own speaking skills through the podcast, you could like measure it throughout the weeks. Like you can feel just safer in front of the microphone. Yeah. Because my first mistake and it's like a mistake I still make, but not for the same reason is I would get ahead of myself. I would have like these thoughts racing through my head and I wouldn't be able to get them out in like an articulate way. Right. Uh, because I was nervous. And when you're nervous, your brain just goes everywhere. Uh, but like soon I was, I, I mean, I still was just as nervous, but I was able to talk through the nervousness and really like take deep breaths in between thoughts and sentences. And I learned small discussion skills, which is like something you do in college. It's not even something they talk about in high school. Uh, and man, was it refreshing. Like, oh, it just like, it breathed air and, and just poured gasoline all over my motivation and lit it on fire because senior year I was dead. Like mm. waking up in the morning was, was hard for me uh, and being willing to go to school. Cause I remember uh, my fifth period was ag leadership and I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, I can't do this anymore. And when we got this pot, when the podcast really started to go uh, full force and we were bringing on like two guests to three guests a week, I just went up into my counselor's office and was say, I just said, 
the podcast is a more productive use of my time. I need a free period. And she completely agreed. Thank God. Adishu, I just love you. I love Mrs. Adishu so much. But she gave me the opportunity to have an entire period dedicated to the podcast, which was like, it really made me appreciate high school, uh, knowing that I had an hour of my day to just be myself and work on something that I actually wanted to work on. Uh, so man, was that a big, a big step in the right direction and just got me motivated to be an academic like that. The podcast has just changed my life to be completely honest with you. It sounds so cliche and like over the top, but since the conception of our podcast, it has completely changed the way I look at my future. Now I couldn't imagine me doing anything else, but being an academic for the rest of my life. And it, it was literally those ideas started on We The Students. You can hear me talking about it, uh, starting with like film in episode two. And then 50 episodes later, we worked it out and kind of, you can see the, just the evolution of myself all recorded. Yeah. Like just hours of me talking. Yeah. I think we calculated. I think we have like over like 30 hours of content on, yeah. on that thing. Um, yeah. And I think most importantly, when it comes to myself and what you've shown to me, is just that no one really is condemned to how to even put it i don't even know what to put it it's so frustrating i feel like school can easily condemn students to mediocrity and i don't say mediocrity in the eyes of like the students mediocre mm-hmm. it's that society sees them as <clears throat> mediocre as in they see the transcript and they see the GPA and they see the yes. lackluster quote-unquote achievements that said student received and they're labeled and they're stratified. They're put in a percentile. You know, one of the most sinister ideas I think that this SAT has is is this, is this concept of percentile, right? You're, you're better than 99% of the rest. Of <laughs> yes, yes. You're better yeah. than 50% or 20%, right? This idea of you're being better than someone else and that person is worse than you. You know, it sucks, but yeah. like it feels good. It, class rank as well. Class rank as well. Right. Class rank as well. I know some high schools, I have a couple friends here who said that their high schools don't have class rank. And there's others who say they have class rank and it was toxic. It was toxic. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I think, I, I think, you know, you really planted a seed of equity in my mind. Because here you were, and, and we would talk about this openly on the podcast. Here you were, like like you said yourself, your freshman and sophomore year, they were not like your junior and senior year, right? A lot of it was due to your counselor, Miss Odishu, our counselor, Miss Odishu, allowing yeah. you to take AP courses. Part of it is like just your own ability to just, just you know, think positively through through your achievements. And then maybe yeah. in some ways it was the podcast, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a little bit of both because to make the 180 I did it, it's going to be more than one element to get me there oh, yeah. because oh yeah like I, I'll just be straightforward and honest since we're doing an interview like I began my freshman year uh in kind of a tough situation one because I come from a family of uh, addictive personalities like if you go to my dad's side uh my aunt my grandma it's either alcoholism or a uh, part of the opioid crisis my brother struggles with um, drug addiction. And 
I was surrounded by it. And obviously I was, you know, going to do exactly what my environment tells me to do. And I hung out with the wrong people. Um, and of course I was doing drugs my freshman and sophomore year. Uh, and I didn't do any extra extracurricular activities. I would, all I would do is get to school. I only had like three academic classes in PE. Uh, and then I would walk home, uh, link up with one of my friends who was probably a drug dealer at the time and just kick it. I had like absolutely no plans to do anything bigger than that. Uh, and I did it all the way through my yeah freshman and sophomore year. Uh, and I, it's what, what's so wild is I can't even recall things that happened to freshman and sophomore year. It, it's all muddled and it's hard to even think about. I, I don't really have any memories because I did nothing rememberable. I kind of just faded away and I didn't feel like myself for two years. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it just sucked because I would, I would open up my Aries and I would look at my class rank and I'm like, I have so much potential and here I am sitting at like 230 out of 400. Mm-hmm. And I would hear about the people who were also next to me in class rank and I'd be like, okay, I guess I'm just one of them. Uh, here I am. I'm categorized in the 200s. I guess I'm a 200, 200 out of 400 student. So that's how I acted. Um, man, is it depressing to think about <laughs> because I just lived two years of my life as somebody else. Yeah. Like it, it's kind of wild to, to believe, but I'm just so glad I, I was able to turn it around and I have to thank you, David, because it took, it took a few people. It took a dish you obviously, and it took you for really you guys believing in me, uh, and knowing that I could do better than I did. And just being around you, like it's motivating, David. Like our, our friendship is motivating. Like knowing that you're out here being an academic and you're focused on it, it doesn't make me feel alone. Because imagine only having friends who aren't interested in academics. Right. Then why would you even, you don't have anyone to talk to about it. You're, you just kind of feel alone. I, I, I felt lonely anytime I focused on school. So I didn't. But now I can focus on academics and I can read books and focus, study philosophy, study history, study politics, and I have someone to talk to about it. Yeah. And it's, it just makes it feel like I'm in a community and it makes me, that's how important friendship is in school. And I'm so glad that I was able to surround myself with the right people before it was too late. Yeah, man. Yeah. And, and, and same, you know, I, I suppose I was in a different situation that, you know, your presence was, you know, saved me from. You know, I was in a position, how do you say, it was like purgatory of school, right? It felt like I was doing everything for this really, really superficial reason of like getting to college, for instance, right? Like yeah, just, yeah. Oh, it's just really, and looking back, it was kind of embarrassing to think about like some of the thought processes that I had joining this club or doing that thing for the for the mere sake of of college, you know? And it was it was disgusting. And and when I when I had the chance to to make this podcast with you, I, I was really kind of going against the grain of what I what I had always done, which was planned, you know, calculated. And you know, this is kind of posh to say that this was a risk, but it was a risk in the sense that I had no idea what was going to happen, and no idea how big this was going to get, or no no idea how important this was going to be. But I all I knew was that there was something in step one that felt meaningful and all I could do was assume that step two was going to be the same thing and it did it did and up until now at step 500 it's still feeling feeling as meaningful 
as well. I mean, think about our evolution. You know, started off we the students, then the David and Cal show, and then we did a whole bunch of other spinoffs, and we brought on the mental health awareness show, and and now we're here. Like, has our own how's it going, and our own yeah, our own personal space to be able to talk to the universe and to each other. So, it it was just so wonderful to see our personalities like coming together because I mean you would have these podcasts like scheduled weeks in advance and which was great because I mean we knew what we were going to get but then I would end up running to you second period <laughs> David I have a major in the marines and he wants to talk to us on the podcast can we get this together by lunch um yeah and just our personalities working together to to have like all these amazing guests come on and was it satisfying to see and and I just again the permanence of podcasting now we can sit back and look we can look back on it and just smile and, and re-listen. Mm. So wonderful. It would be an understatement to say that podcasting and hanging out with Cal had changed the way I see life. It's overturned it. I found my love for podcasting, for conversation. Oftentimes, we consider identity to be forged from events, from experiences with our surroundings. But like what Sir Ken Robinson said, if you were to strip school down to its essence, to its fundamental system, what remains are simple interactions. Interactions with teachers and with fellow learners. I hope by showing you how I've grown from interacting with Miss Teachin and Cal Slatten, you could also look back onto your education and pinpoint the people that have molded you. The people that have shaped your world as much as you have shaped theirs. In a broader sense, I hope that this message of relationships and identity could serve as a reminder that at the end of the day, when whenever we think about improving our schools, we can never forget about the relationships of teachers and students, for they represent the bedrock for learning and schooling as we know it.